Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. This was a time where he knew Peter would be exhausted. He knew that the guys had toiled and worked hard and they'd produced nothing, and, and that he was gonna show them, hey, listen, just obey me and, and things will happen you can't even imagine because he, he wants to take us at our low point and say, I have things for you you would have never even come to me for or expected me to do, and you're not gonna do it until you listen and obey. Well. Today we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, Fishers of Men. We will continue to look at the first 11 verses of Luke 5 and will continue to consider Jesus filling Peter's boat with fish and telling him that he will make him a fisher of men. So let's listen in. The success again leads to distress, partial obedience to this unnecessary trial. So they signal to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats and they began to sink. The picture here is one of obedience. And, and, and let me just share a couple thoughts related to the subject. First of all, obedience brings success, at least this time. And even though it's partial obedience, it's bringing great success. And by partial, I mean, he said, cast the nets. They cast a net. Eventually, they're going to be getting more nets. They're going to be getting more boats because they're getting a catch of fish they never expected at all. And, and so Jesus wants Peter to know that obedience will bring success. But I want you to be sure that obedience is success. It isn't just that obedience brings success. And, and here's why this is so important. We're so results oriented in our culture that if somebody works really hard and they're completely faithful, but we don't see the expected or desired result, well, then we can say, well, they didn't really succeed. They, maybe they failed or, or maybe, well, here's, here's the problem with that. From God's perspective, when he gives us something to do and we do it, that's success. It's not about the outcome to him because the outcome isn't up to us. It's up to the person we're sharing with or the, the work we've done and, and then the Lord. Couple examples. Jeremiah called to preach to the children of Israel, actually down in Judah, at a very difficult time in their history. Prior to Jeremiah, Isaiah had warned that unless the people repented, they were going to be judged by God. But if they repented, then God would relent and, and there wouldn't be a judgment. Well, they didn't listen. And Isaiah spent his entire life preaching to him. Well, Jeremiah comes on the scene and God sends Jeremiah and he says, here's the message. It's too late for the nation, but it's not too late for you. In other words, I'm going to judge this nation. There's going to be a captivity. The Babylonians are coming. And at one point he tells Jeremiah, and this is, it's so important. He says, tell them that, that when the enemy comes, if they go out and surrender, then I'll protect them and bless them. They'll go to Babylon, but I'll, I'll take care of them there and, and I'll, I'll, I'll use them. They'll, they'll not only survive, they'll thrive in the midst of the captivity. Hey, Ezekiel is one of the guys that listened. Daniel is one of the guys that listened. They end up in Babylon, but used and blessed by God, even in the captivity. But he says, if you stay in the city, you're going to die. So sometimes, well, the, the, the idea, and I started with this, it's really two points now because I went somewhere not necessarily intending, that often happens. But, uh, but, but the, my initial point is this, that, that sometimes we don't get the expected result. In other words, when Jeremiah went out, he understood not everyone was going to repent. I don't think he understood how few people would listen and that the majority of the people rejected him and they died as a result. That was grieving to him. 
And, and he probably felt like a failure. But I got to tell you, when he gets to heaven, God's not going to say, hey, nice try, buddy. No, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, because obedience is success. The, the other side of Jeremiah's whole thing is, is that, that the people that did listen, well, they, they're going to be used by God mightily and, and blessed by God mightily. And then those people are going to come back into the land. Later, when we get into the book of Acts, also written by Luke, by the way, uh, we'll see Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people give their lives to the Lord. Everybody agrees. Hey, this is the most radical thing that's ever happened since like Nineveh. In Nineveh, they were a bunch of pagans we didn't really want saved. So we're not going to talk about that anyway. It's all about that 3,000 of us that got saved. But a little later on, a guy named Stephen preaches to the same basic crowd, not the ones who'd gotten saved, but those who needed to get saved. He gives the basic same message. And what happens? Instead of repenting, they, they stone him. They, they kill him. And, and so if, if we're all about results, we're going to say, well, Peter succeeded and Stephen failed. But that's not what God sees. And we need to see things through God's eyes. If we've been faithful, we've been faithful. And God's going to say, well done. And if things are falling apart, well, he knew that would happen. I'm thinking that this wasn't just an opportunity for the Lord. This was the perfect opportunity. This was a time where he knew Peter would be exhausted. He knew that the guys had toiled and worked hard and they'd produced nothing. And, and, and that he was going to show them, hey, listen, just obey me and, and things will happen. You can't even imagine because he, he wants to take us at our low point and say, I have things for you you would have never even come to me for or expected me to do. And you're not going to do it until you listen and obey. Well, in any case, this whole idea, obedience brings success. Obedience is success. The third issue with obedience is that obedience is better than sacrifice. And we learned this back with King Saul in the Old Testament. At one point, God sends him out. It's in 1 Samuel to, to wipe out the Amalekites. And he's real clear. He says, I want you to wipe out everyone. I want you to wipe out everything. So Saul goes and, and he and the people, well, they keep the best of the flocks, the best of the herds. They keep them all alive and, and they bring Agag with them. And, and Samuel comes and meets up with, with uh, Saul and, and Saul's like, hey, blessed of the Lord. I've done all the Lord commanded me to. And Samuel's like, well, what's the meaning of the bleeding of the sheep in my ears? I mean, what am I hearing if you did what the Lord told you to do? And he's like, oh, the people, they brought that stuff. Anyway, they're going to sacrifice it to the Lord. No big deal. But here's why it's a big deal. Saul was the one who was in charge. Saul was the leader. And whenever the leader misrepresents, well, the people falter and fail and, and struggle. And, and, and so Saul wasn't just sinning against God as Peter did in his unbelief here. Saul was sinning and leading his whole people into sin. So, so Samuel kind of gets on him and he says, no, listen, God told you to, to, to wipe them all out. And then Saul does something crazy. He says, but I have obeyed the commandment of the Lord. I killed all the Amalekites and here's King Agag to prove it. He is alive. He is one of them. And it's, it reminded me of Congress, you know, they do something and then they point to the very proof that they did the wrong thing and say, see, we did the right thing. And, and it's like, that's exactly what he's doing. He's saying, I have obeyed the Lord. Here's the proof I obeyed the Lord. And he points to the proof he didn't obey the Lord. Well, all of that brings Samuel to say this. Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey 
is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. It might sound severe and perhaps it is, but I think here's what's going on. Jesus deals with such grace when he deals with Peter because Peter's at the beginning of figuring out who Jesus is and beginning to follow after Jesus. And God works that way in all of our lives. You see a new believer, new believer has all kinds of ideas that just aren't going to gel, aren't going to make it, habits, lifestyle issues. And, and you look and think, well, how could they be a Christian and be so confused? Well, if they're a young believer, the, the only thing that deals with the confusion is getting to know the truth. So people need to study the word. They need friends alongside to say, I'm not sure if you've ever read what the scripture says about this issue, but let me show you. So, so here's the deal. Peter is just getting to know the Lord. Saul is the king of God's people. He's representing the Lord. So God deals severely with him, but graciously and mercifully and slowly and, and, and wondrously with Peter. The same thing will happen with Moses. You know, Moses wanders in the wilderness for 40 years because of God's people's rebellion. It really was them, not him. And he gets almost to the end. He's just about at the point where he's going to go and inherit the promised land. And, and what happens? The people murmur and, and God says, I'll go out and talk to the rock. They're thirsty again. You know, just talk to the rock and water will gush forth. And, and Moses is like, I can't believe it. He goes out and he's like, how long do we have to put up with you? We who? Moses is acting like God's mad, but just Moses is mad. And it's a bummer because God's like, hey, you back to the woodshed here for a minute. And, and they get in a little conversation. And because he misrepresented the Lord just this one time. And at the end of 40 years of putting up with all these people who misrepresented him every day, Moses is denied going into the promised land. So I share this with you dads or boss or whoever you are that's in a position of authority, moms, responsibility, that it's one thing for, for God to deal with your children and, or with a young believer. It's another thing for him to deal with you. Now, he will be gracious and patient and long-suffering, but he also can be severe. So, so again, the, the picture is, is threefold. Obedience can and does bring blessing. Obedience is blessing. To obey is better than sacrifice. And then there's a fourth kind of obedience. I want to touch on this and then we'll press ahead. You know the story of Jonah, most of you, because you heard it growing up as a child, whether you've read it. I do encourage you as an adult to read it and ask the Lord, hey, is there any Jonah in me? Am I like him in any way, Lord? Because I can see you weren't real happy with him and I want you to be happy with me. Jonah is a guy who actually obeyed the Lord, but only when God forced the issue. You know, God recruited him as a prophet and Jonah was all for that. Be like God talks to you and says, hey, I want to talk to people through you. Well, cool, Lord, I'm into that. And then he's like, I want to talk to those people through you. And you're like, I'm not so into that. That's Jonah, you see. And the Ninevites, they were bad guys. And I mean, they, they were, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire and they were brutal, they were barbaric, they, they tortured people. And, and, and so Jonah had every reason to despise and hate them. But the real reason he didn't want to go preach to him is he knew something about God that he would prefer stay a family secret. 
And that is God's merciful and long-suffering and forgiving and gracious and patient. And, and so what happens? God says, I want you to go talk to the Ninevites. And he gets on a ship and goes the other way. Long story short, things go bad on the ship. And it's interesting. There's a bit of a parallel, isn't there? Here's a partial obedience that leads to breaking nets and sinking ships. Here's disobedience leading to... Well, a sinking ship, the loss of cargo, those other people on the ship, they had nothing to do with Jonah's sin. And ultimately, they cast lots. They figure out it's him. He says, cast me overboard. They don't want to do it, but they do. And then the sea is still. Jonah swallowed by the fish, deposited on the shores of Nineveh, where he goes and preaches exactly the message God told him to preach. The problem is his heart's not in it. And it's a fourth kind of obediency. And it's so important that we get this because oftentimes we start out doing the right thing, unlike Jonah, but, but, but in our hearts in it, we're excited about it. We're doing it for God's glory. And then somewhere along the line, we find we're doing it, but our heart's no longer in it. And here's what I hear people say. I think I'm just gonna, gonna stop, you know? It's like I've been, I used to witness and I was effective or I used to teach and, and it seemed like things were going good, but nothing's happening. I think I'm just gonna, gonna you know, Chuck it in. Just give it up. And here's the issue. You need to do what God calls you to do. What needs to change isn't what you're doing, but your heart in it. You need to change your heart and say, Lord, forgive me for, for getting into this state where I, I, I take the gift you've given me and the things you've done through and for me. And, and I, I'm willing to just say, oh, whatever. Nothing's happening. You know, no results. And, and I got to tell you, if you find yourself there, it's time to just say, Lord, forgive me and transform me. I want a heart like yours. I, I, want, I want to see people and you and, and the world the way you do. Well, in any case, even after Jonah succeeded, and that was such a bummer for him, because after the Ninevites repent, which he was afraid would happen, and he says, so he goes, Lord, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. This is what I was afraid of that I'd succeed. They repented. They give their life to the Lord. And now Jonah is miserable. Why? Because he's done what God sent him to do, but his heart isn't in it. And I, I again, just want to encourage you. I want to see you thrive for the Lord. That's what every parent wants for their kids. That's what every pastor wants for their flock. Not just people that are saved and secure and going to heaven, but people that are fruitful for the Lord, enjoying the time between here and there. And there are a lot of things we'll get to do in heaven that we do now. And we'll do them better up there. We're going to sing better up there. We will. Our worship, though, is acceptable to the Lord now because it's a, a sacrifice of praise. It's, he actually says it, doesn't he? Make a joyful noise. And, and let's face it, that's what a lot of us do. It's a joyful noise. But, but in heaven, our, our worship will be perfected. In heaven, our, our prayers will be perfected. In heaven, we, we won't need to be taught because we'll know everything perfectly. The one thing we can't do there that we get to do here is share Jesus. Everybody in heaven will already know the Lord. And so this whole idea of them being called to fish for men and us seeing that this is still plan A and there is no plan B. Well, Simon Peter saw it, verse 8. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. It's an interesting thing. In the light of God's glory, and that's what he's getting a glimpse of, man, we really see our depravity. And if you're a younger Christian, you may still have this ahead. You know, when you give your life to the Lord, as I'm certain most of you have, you know that you're a sinner. That's why you say, Jesus, forgive me my sins. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. 
You just don't realize how bad of a sinner you are. And that happens later, doesn't it? It's like after you've been a Christian for a week or a month or a year or 10 or 20, and all of a sudden, you know, you have these thoughts or you hear those words and they're coming out of your own mouth and you're like, oh my gosh, Lord, forgive me. I mean, even for the thought and I can't believe I said it or I did that thing. And we can shock ourselves. And, and all that's happening is the Lord is surfacing in us what he's always seen there. And, and I think it was Bud that told me, and it's a, a good illustration for this passage, that God catches his fish and then he cleans them. And, uh, and the cleaning process takes some time. It just does. So as you realize walking close to Jesus, man, I'm a worse sinner than I ever thought. The good news is he always knew that. He's not shocked. He's not surprised. He's not going to give up on you. He's always known the truth about you. In fact, 1 John 1, 7, the first part can be a bit confusing. It says, as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Well, we expect that. He's in the light. We walk in the light. We're in fellowship. Then it says, and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. And it's in the present tense. So, what it's saying is there is a continual cleansing as I'm walking close to Jesus. Now, before I read that verse, I would have thought that, that if I'm walking in the light with Jesus, I won't be sinning. I wish I could say that were true. But as I walk with him, the, the, the difference is I readily, immediately, because of his glory, his, his purity, and I see my, my depravity and my impurity. And I cry out, if I confess my sin, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So, so I walk in the light, you walk in the light, you're going to see it. Just like Peter, he falls down and he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Isaiah had a similar experience. Woe is me, he said when he saw the Lord, I'm undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Well, verse nine says, he and all who were with him were amazed, astonished at the catch of fish which they'd taken. And again, we read of them marveling and being astonished and amazed throughout Luke, marveling at his gracious words, astonished at his teaching because of the authority that he taught with, amazed at his authority and power as he cast out demons. I did a word search on this. I loved it. It said they were amazed, dumbfounded, speechless and stupefied. And I just like that word. I got to be honest. Verse 10 says, and so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. It's like the nets don't matter. The boats don't matter. The fish don't matter. I have an entirely new and more wonderful mission for you. There, there's something else, though. These guys are partners and they're family. Peter and, and Andrew, James and John, Peter and Andrew brothers, James and John brothers, they're partners. They're working together. And sometimes when the Lord calls us to a work for him, that means we end up separated from family and friends and others because they're not going to go that direction. Jesus is calling these guys. And, and this is my prayer for, for us as his kids here in Calvary Chico. That, that we'll get to work with family, that we'll get to work with our, our moms and dads and, and our sons and daughters and our brothers and sisters and our husbands and wives, that the ministry would be something that we would engage in together. And that's what they're getting to do. Well, the next thing says, when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Oh, there is one other thing. I have to share it with you. And then I have something to read to you after we consider this part. First Corinthians mentions that, 
that God hasn't called the mighty or the noble or, well, he says not many mighty or not many wise according to the flesh or not many noble are called. But, but he says God's chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise and the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. Now, I'm pretty sure being a guy that no guy likes to be thought of as foolish and weak. I mean, we want to be thought of as wise and strong. I was standing out talking with some friends and, and I don't know if you know Big Jim, but he's got arms like this and he was standing behind me and, and, and they said, man, look at those arms. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I was like, not bad. But I knew Jim was there. I was joking. But it's the, the, the point is none of us want to be. Well, we don't want to be made fun of. It's fine to make fun of ourselves because we're ready for that. But but no one wants to be thought less of. And but but God's saying he can't choose the worldly wise because they'll do it their way. And he can't choose the mighty because people will say, well, of course, they had power. That's why they accomplished it. And the noble. Well, they had authority and. No, but he says the foolish and the weak and, and he chooses the base things and the things which are despised and the things which are not to bring the thing to nothing, the things that are. And then he says that no flesh should glory in his presence. See, that's what he's doing in, in Peter. He's teaching him not to glory in himself, but to, to glory in the Lord. Let him who glories glory in the Lord. Well, they bring their boats, they forsake all. And they follow him. And I'd like to suggest this is an absolute essential for everyone that wants to follow Jesus, for everyone who calls himself a, a disciple of Jesus. It's not an option or, or it's not um, something we can choose or refuse. A right relationship with Jesus requires that we forsake all to follow him. And later in Luke, we'll study these in depth. He's going to tell us we're going to have to deal with our relationships. We're going to have to deal with our reputation. We're going to have to deal with our resources. And we're going to have to be willing to forsake all of those. Or he'll say, you cannot be my disciple. Let me read them to you briefly. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, it's one of the weirder passages. So even though I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, let me at least say, you already know we're to love the Lord your God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. That we're to love our neighbors, ourselves. Husbands are to love their wives. Children are to honor their parents. And now he's saying, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to hate them and What's he talking about? No, he's saying in comparison. All he's doing is saying that the relationship with him has to be the primary relationship. And it has to be so strong in our commitment to him and his will that, that it would look like this love makes that look like hatred. The good news is if you get this part right, that part will go real well too. You won't love them less because you love Jesus with all that's in you. You'll love them better the way he does. But he's saying you have a decision to make. And if mom and dad are, are Buddhist or Hindu or, or uh, they're, they're um, you know, into Islam or they're into something else and, and God calls you to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, a preacher of the gospel, well, there's going to be a break in the family. And that's really all he's trying to say. When it comes to reputation in Luke 14, 27, he says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Remember, when he's saying this, he hasn't yet gone to the cross. So we have to think, well, what did it mean to them? The cross to them, that was a criminal's death. I mean, do you know that the Romans wouldn't crucify a Roman? It was such a horrific and shameful and painful death. They reserved it for the worst of criminals. So when he's saying, you're not going to be able to worry about your reputation. You're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Something else he'll say before the cross. So, so 
If we're into relationships, he's saying, this has to be the primary relationship or you can't be my disciple. If, if we're about reputation, he says, you're going to have to worry about my reputation. Let me worry about your reputation or you can't be my disciple. And then our resources, Luke 14, really says that we have to do what they did. Likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, God doesn't call everyone to sell everything and give it away or to leave it all behind, but he does call us to be willing to do just that. To, to, to at the moment's notice, if he says, here's what I have for you, that's over, that's done. That's what he's doing with them. They're the illustration. Pastor Sam touched on the story of Jonah and the Ninevites in today's study. I've often thought about Jonah's disdain for the Ninevites in context to the attitudes that we can have toward the unsaved here in our lives now. In Isaiah 43:4, we are told that we are all precious and honored in God's sight. And of course, John 3:16, Jesus demonstrated this love and honor for us by going to the cross for all of us. So when we encounter those unsaved who live among us, our attitude towards them is to be the same. And we have to know that no one is beyond God's ability to save, no matter what we think of them, and no matter how lost they might appear to us. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.